0: Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast.
1: Please subscribe to our channel. One thing that's kind of become apparent to me in recent weeks is that for us as a community, we perhaps don't have the kind of visibility, uh, the, the kind of, I suppose, panoramic view of what God is doing in the world, but there would certainly be a movement that's taking place in just about every context or situation whether that's the local church or an international ministry or a ministry that's working in developing or, or encouraging people to um, live for Jesus and and what that movement is is a movement of prayer people are, are finding themselves caught up in a desire or passion and awakening if you like to pray and um, it 's interesting as i 've been away for a few days in, in, in Geneva, just over the border into France also just that right there in that part of the world that's the leading of the spirit for that particular community. The churches are gathering with an expectation and they're praying and they 're seeking god 's heart and they 're wanting to know how to live their best life for jesus and in that time away, I was able to look around at some of the, the big hitters in the world i 'm a bit loud, perhaps you could take me down slightly. Um, there are some very significant ministries around the planet, and as you do a little bit of inter- you know, it, it research on the internet, you start to see you start to see that lots of these people are catching something of a, of a move of God, and that catching means that they're now communicating on the same subject that we as a community without realizing it have been talking about now for quite a number of weeks they're talking about prayer and and when i think of the significance of that i realize that god is doing something in our lives to prepare us for the return of jesus christ amen and and Prayer, for many, many reasons, is quite the battle for Christians. And we've looked over these number of weeks, some of the areas that perhaps we need God's help with, and and I think we arrived at a great point where we said, Lord, we don't really know how to do this. We have seen people do this, we have watched other models of prayer, but Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And I think God took that invitation seriously. And in our week of prayer and fasting, I wasn't here on the final night. I had to fly out to Geneva that night. In our week of prayer and fasting, I believe he saved the best wine for last. On that Friday night, there was this real move of celebration in the hearts of God's people. How long has it been since we've seen God move like that amongst us? A move of celebration. I don't think it was incidental or accidental. I think it was as a result of us prioritizing and indeed posturing our heart before God to seek and to see his will and his purpose for our lives and in his presence and we don't automatically jump into that place I must be honest with you you know watching congregations over years sometimes it takes 20 30 40 minutes for people to to sense the presence of God the Bible says in his presence there is fullness of joy if you want to see what God looks like he's a joyous God Amen? But our ability to enter His presence is often something we leave to a meeting. When actually we've been encouraged for weeks now to take upon ourselves this kind of journey of going deeper and deeper into the heart of who God truly is. And intimacy, the battle for intimacy with God is probably the most, I think, fierce spiritual warfare that every Christian has to fight. And there's a million things you could be doing, a thousand places you need to be, and hundreds of responsibilities you need to resolve. But actually, your priority, our priority, as people who belong to Jesus, is to be in his presence. Because if we are ever going to be used of God in any manner of significance, we have to live from that place of intimacy. In that place of intimacy, an authority becomes apparent in the believer, and you start to live as an overcomer, not a circummer to your circumstances, your problems, and your difficulties. And without intimacy and purity, which is what God does when we come into his presence, we will never move in the authority that Jesus invites us to see uh, um, transform the world around us. So I believe the battle for intimacy has been raging for years. And the joy that you want in life cannot be found at the cinema. That's escapism, and it will be available for an hour or two, depending on the film, and then your life will go back to what it was before. But in His presence, there is fullness of joy, and there is life. Life. Say life for me. Life. Life. Isn't, it, isn't that what we want? Isn't it life that we want? Life in all its fullness. So we in light of all of that, thinking it might be good for us just to continue our conversation on prayer for a few more weeks. And uh, we've got a new graphic. As you can see, the young man is me in younger days. And underneath this shirt, that's exactly what I'm wearing. I just want you to know the full armor of God. You know, these majestic shoulders are not accidental. Stop laughing at me. There's a lot of hard work and uh, discipline concerning that. So we're going to talk about this place, this gathering place, this this meeting place between God and His people, and I've entitled this series, The War Room. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if we can, please. We're going to look at verse 10 together. And as you know, this is the preambles to the conversation that the Apostle Paul has as he writes his letter to the church at Ephesus, wanting them to know one significant thing, and that significant thing is that they are in a battle. They are at war. Do you ever think about that? (laughs) You know when you're getting dressed in the morning and you head out towards your day, do you think, I'm actually getting ready to go to war? Now, I'm not talking with your family, although there may be some dynamics to that that might be worth considering but actually because you're a christian you already are on a particular side you're on the side of righteousness peace joy love when you came to faith in jesus christ the one who has won the ultimate battle over sin and shame and disease and sickness you became part of his mighty army of LOVERS. I CALL THEM HIS SECRET WEAPONS OF MASS DESTRUCTION. AND GOD BEGAN TO EXPECT YOU AND ENCOURAGE YOU TO ENGAGE IN WARFARE. NOW, I KNOW THIS IS NOT THE METAPHOR THAT WE LIKE, because I think for for many, many reasons, we've adopted the posture of being the family of God. And of course, if you look around the room, you will see that God's family is very diverse and comes from all kinds of people's groups from all over the world and always has and always will. And that is great, but we are not just a family. We're certainly not just a community. That's people gathered together in one place for a particular time or season. We are also, as well as a family and a community, We are also a place where grace and mercy and the goodness of God should be expressed backwards and forwards. They call it fellowship in the Bible, that we have a a mutual love and respect and honor for one another, and a care and a compassion, and indeed um, a generous heart towards one another. And, And we're working on that, and that takes a little bit of intentionality. But I want to use a metaphor that for many, many reasons for many, many years has not been used of the church. And here's the metaphor I want you to think about today with me is, you are not just a family, you're not just a community, it's not just a, you know, a fellowship of people, it's not just the hospital where God heals and restores, you are the army of the Lord. You are in the Lord's army. Now some of you are thinking, I never signed up for that. I just wanted to get my ticket to heaven and have a good life, but actually, whether you want to or you don't want to, the minute you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, the enemy sees you as his enemy. And you, whether you want to be, whether you understand it, whether you like it, whether you embrace it, you are his target of destruction. The Bible says of the enemy, he comes to steal. When I look around the church, I think, HE'S DONE A GOOD JOB. THROUGH THE PANDEMIC, HE STOLE OUR HOPE. DO YOU KNOW, OUR HOPE IS NOT A FEELING. OUR HOPE IS IN JESUS CHRIST. YES, THE HOPE OF GLORY IS IN JESUS CHRIST. HE STOLE FOR MANY PEOPLE OUR PEACE. And all kinds of Christians got caught up in, you know, all kinds of, of fear and anxiety and concern and apprehension about all kinds of things. Some of the most fierce advocates for that were in the church. And then there's the other extreme. It's all Beelzebub and there's the mark of Satan. And do you remember all that as well? Nobody wanted the church and some churches wouldn't take the injection because they thought it was the mark of the beast. I want to tell you, whenever that happens to you, it won't happen incognito. You will know. Go back and read your Bible. You will see. It. You'll know. It's not going to happen in a submersive way. You will see that the enemy's trying to put his stamp on you. And we are going to look through your hair later on and see if there's any 666's six, six, on the back of anybody's yeah. neck. Just on the way out, we'll just kind of view that on the way. Just double check. Make sure that all is well. It is well with my hair. So anxiety stole the peace of Jesus which surpasses all understanding. He did. And so many people have never recovered from that, sadly. For some people, he stole their confidence of being out and about amongst other people. And there are people watching online this morning, and they don't feel they have the ability or the capacity to be able to engage in community anymore. And they watch from afar, and they view from afar. And I, I appreciate the battle. Absolutely, fundamentally, I understand their concerns. But I believe that the enemy is a thief. And I think I've got to be really careful about allowing myself to submit to that kind of theft. When Jesus said, I came and I came to give you life in abundance, it wasn't a wishful thinking, it was an invitation. And as I think about life in abundance, I think of some of the things where the enemy has stolen. So whether you want to be in a battle or you don't want to be in a battle, whether you prefer the ideology that we're a family, which is true, or just a community, or even a grace community with fellowship at the heart of that and mutual love and respect and honor, you are also today, right now, at war. And when you were putting your socks on this morning, And deciding what fabulous thing you wanted to wear. There is an enemy crouching around the life of a believer. And his whole intentionality is to ruin and destroy your love, affection, and relationship with God. And if I were you, and I'm not you, I'm me, I would become a little bit more hyper-vigilant about that. Hello. So Paul, seeking to help a church not unlike ours, in a world not unlike the one we're living in, where all kinds of adversity and atrocities happen to all kinds of good people, begins to write a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he intentionally writes every single word with specific meaning and understanding so that they would be prepared for the battle and the war that exists around their life. Now, the church at Ephesus had great knowledge of the scriptures. They had high level and caliber intellect. But you see, I want to suggest to you that you may know the truth up here, but that truth will never set you free unless somehow you learn to work it out down here. I, what, I'm what they would call, I suppose, and people have said this of me, I haven't said it of myself, I'm a practical theologian. I DON'T WANT PIE IN THE SKY, I WANT MEAT ON MY PLATE. AND WHEN I COME TO THE SCRIPTURES, I SAY, GOD, THAT'S REALLY BEYOND ME TO FULLY UNDERSTAND, BUT HOW DOES IT WORK IN MY LIFE? How do I live with that truth and operate in that truth? And I think that's the word becoming flesh. Unless it becomes a reality in the way we think and the decisions we make and the acts that we perform, then all we have is a whole bunch of great ideas about the reality of God. And the church at Ephesus were highly intellectual. They had all kinds of, you know, intellectuals on understanding on the nature, the character of the person. And and as you read through the book of, of, of Ephesians, you'll see that there are some lofty things that the the apostle paul is addressing but right at the end of it he begins to draw all of that down to this particular statement and this statement is what we're going to talk about today he says be strong in the lord have you got your bibles open finally brethren be strong in the lord and in the strength of his power be strong in the lord and in the strength of his power. Notice, of all the things that Paul could have said to draw the Ephesian church to thinking and engaging in what is preparation and understanding of the war that exists around them, he uses this word, finally. In other words, everything I've said before this is important, but of all the things I'm saying to you, this is now the most important Paul is drawing all of the lofty truths that have already preceded this conversation in the book of Ephesians and he's drawing them down to this moment and he's saying pay full attention to what I'm about to say to you in other words this is the very thing you need right now in your life and I'd like to say to you church If I could be your pastor for a minute, and I think that's who I am, this is the very thing that you and I need to hear right now. There are lots of great things we could engage with intellectually, lots of things we can do spiritually, but today in the house of the Lord, I want to tell you, God has an urgency attached to this message for you because he is saying, look at what I'm saying to you. It will help you as you seek to move forward in your life. The word, finally, is Paul drawing our attention and saying it's the most important thing I'm going to say to you. It's taken from a Greek phrase, which is to la upo, and it would be better translated with this particular ideology. In conclusion. In other words in summation i'm taking all of these thoughts that i've given you all of these wonderful things i've shared with you but this is the thing that i want you to pay attention to it's the one thing i want you to remember above everything else that i've said to you and if you remember this you will be in good stead or stayed for the future so let's look at some of the things that preceded this finally word And there are great, great examples of wonderful theological truths in this particular book. In chapter 1, let me tell you some of the things Paul has covered up to this point. Verse 4, he covers the whole concept of what it means to be elected. In other words, chosen by God. Chapter 1, verse 5 talks about being predestined. In other words, God had a plan before the world was even formed to know you and have relationship with you. Chapter 1, verse 5, he speaks into the whole concept of being adopted into the family of God. Chapter 1, verse 13, he's talking about the wonderful seal of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 14, he's talking about the earnestness of the Spirit, the desire of the Spirit to bring us into all that God has for us in CHAPTER 1, VERSE 7, AND IN 14, IT TALKS ABOUT OUR COMPLETED, GLORIFIED REDEMPTION. AND THAT'S ONLY CHAPTER 1. Then there's chapter 2, and in this particular chapter, he talks about the reality of spiritual death and its fruit. That's chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Talks about the intervention of God's rich mercy, chapter 2, verse 4. He talks about the doctrine of grace versus man's works. That's chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The redemption work of the cross, chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. And the foundation of the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament, and that's chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Now to chapter 3. In chapter 3, 4, and 5, Paul talks about the great mystery of Christ revealed, the eternal plan of God, the unity of one spirit, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. In chapter 4, he talks about the ministry gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and their ultimate purpose in God's plan. Then he goes on to talk about the renewing of the mind and putting on this new man, this new reality we have as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 30, he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. He goes on in chapter 5 to say, we should be continually filled with the Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 13, he talks about God's plan for husbands and wives and the corresponding example of Christ and his church. Chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. And then Paul says, finally. And he's telling us that regardless of everything that we've already read, we better pay attention to this far and above all the things that we have already heard. Finally. Now, I want to say to you, I agree with him. I think that this is the word of words to your life. And I want to suggest to you that in spite of your familiarity with me or indeed your familiarity with the Scripture, that you give God the attention that I think He needs from you or desires from you right now because without seeing this the way He wants us to see it, we will enter into all kinds of things and not be prepared or indeed have a sufficiency to be able to help us to live the life of victory that Jesus Christ has already established for you and me this is not going to ease off the war that you are in is not going to abate It will come to a glorious crescendo as the world is being prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. And if you're not prepared for battle now, I guarantee you, in a few months or even years' time, you will say, I wish I'd paid attention to what was said to me back then because I need to know what it means to do spiritual warfare. I can have an intellectual understanding of God, but I need to know the authority that is mine in Jesus Christ, and I need to know how to exercise that authority. Paul uses this particular phrase, and it's an interesting one. He says, finally, my brethren. Let me talk to you about the word that he's using here. The word brethren is adelphos, which means my brothers in arms. In other words, my comrades. Paul is using this word, and it's a military word that's associated with people who have fought incredibly well in battles and wars and are commended and recognized for doing so. Paul is saying in the word brethren, I see you as a fellow contender for righteousness and truth. I identify with you and recognize the honor that God has placed upon you because in spite of the war and the battles that you have been in, you have not shrunk back or diminished your output in seeking to see the kingdom of God Extended. Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed to identify myself with you. Now let's think for a moment. How wonderful is it that Paul would want to identify with us? Of all the people in the New Testament, other than Jesus, Paul has had the most remarkable effect on the body of Christ is teaching all over the world and for centuries has been so well received and and sought because he has a profound understanding of how to live our Christian life. And he's saying to you today, saying to me today, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to find myself associated with you. I see you as a fellow soldier, as a comrade with honor and glory attached to your name. Now, what is he commending these people for? This isn't what we do in the church. You know, when we say, and brother so-and-so is going to come and lead us in so-and-so, or sister so-and-so, this is not a tokenism. This is a clarity that Paul is trying to say. If you are still fighting the good fight, I honor you. If you are still doing what is right in spite of a world around you that seems to love to do what is wrong, I honor you. And there's a special call upon your life, which God has clearly indicated by your ability to fight the fight that he set before you. Now, I wanna talk to you a little bit, if I can, about what that fight is. You see, the Bible tells us that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we often think that the greatest fight that we can fight is somehow up in the heavenly realms. But let me tell you, the biggest fight you've got on your hands, it's you. YOU ARE THE PERSON, IN MANY, MANY WAYS, YOU HAVE TO TAKE AUTHORITY OVER. HELLO? YOU HAVE A CARNAL NATURE, AND IF IT'S NOT SATISFIED IN RELATIONSHIP WITH JESUS, YOU WILL SATISFY THOSE DESIRES IN COUNTERFEIT WAYS. ONE OF THE SADDEST INDICTMENTS ON THE CHURCH RIGHT NOW IS WE'VE FORGOTTEN WHAT HOLINESS LOOKS LIKE, AND MANY PEOPLE WHO PROFESS TO BE FOLLOWERS OF JESUS ARE LIVING COMPROMISED LIVES. There was a time when I used to come to church and I used to repent of anything and everything and now so often there's a casual way of it. We've, we've overly subscribed to grace and let me speak into that because I'm a, a real advocate of grace. For the last 38 years of my life, I've lived in it and I've spoken about it all over the world. But grace is not no effort at all. AND I THINK SOMEHOW WE HAVE SEPARATED THOSE TWO THINGS. WE THINK, WELL, IF GRACE ABOUNDS, THEN I DON'T NEED TO DO ANYTHING. YES, YOU DO. BECAUSE IF YOU KNEW HOW PRIVILEGED YOU WERE TO HAVE THE GRACE OF GOD IN YOUR LIFE, YOU WOULD LIVE RIGHTEOUSLY. THAT GRACE HAS BEEN AFFORDED TO YOU BY THE RIGHTEOUSNESS OF JESUS, AND CONSEQUENTLY, GRACE REQUIRES AT TIMES Effort for it to become all that it needs to be in our lives. We can't have this casual approach and I call it Peter Pan theology It'll all pan out in the end No, it won't One day you and I will stand before God and we will give an account of the way that we've lived our lives and Things we have failed to do they will come up and things that we have had faith to do they will also come up This is not a game where you get to sleep until Jesus returns. This is serious business. And Jesus gave his life seriously so that we could live with that kind of sense of reality. How you live matters to God. What you say matters to God. I'll keep going till you wake up. What you think matters to God. So as a man thinks he is, where you go matters to God. Who you go with matters to God. And when you surrendered your life to him, you gave him the right to communicate to you what is good and what is not good. Paul, the apostle, is saying, I look at your life and I see that you're fighting still. Thank you. I look at your life and I see that you've had hard times and difficult times. And instead of giving up on Jesus, you kept praying. I look at your life and I see that there's been really tragic circumstances surrounding it, but you never lost faith. You never lost hope. You still believed that Jesus was who he says he was and that he would do what he would say he'd do. Paul is saying, I'm not embarrassed to be connected to you. I am proud to call you my brother in arms because the same fight and battle that I find myself in, I can see in your life is taking place. Church, I want to be honest with you. I look around the church, not this church, the church generally, and people are opting out of Jesus for all kinds of reasons. You didn't get that blessing, you didn't get that job, you didn't get that girlfriend, you didn't get that marriage. Today I want to charge you in the name of Jesus Christ, do not give up the good fight. Do not give up on Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the protector, he is the provider, he is the healer, he is the restorer, and he is true, he is true. Whatever he says to you is more true than the truth that you think that you're living right now. And his word, which is his truth, will not return to him void, but will accomplish. Don't be offended by the pastor. Don't be upset because you didn't get in the worship team. Don't shrink back because you had a hard time at work and you prayed for God to bring deliverance. Keep fighting the good fight. Put on the armor every day of your life and say, I will love you, Jesus, more at the end of this day. Sometimes I think I'm more like a chocolate teapot. I melt at the first sign of heat. And inside of all of us, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let me tell you how you fight the good fight. You get invited to go somewhere, and you think about it, and you think, I don't think that will bring me closer to Jesus. And you fight the battle that's set before you. Say, no, thank you. I have other places I need to be. You meet the most beautiful person in the world, and things are all looking very positive and things begin to get a little bit hot and heavy and you say, no, thank you. That's not for me. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You're in a situation where you could easily subject yourself to all kinds of things that would come freely to you and nobody would even bat an eyelid, but there's somebody watching you who knows your heart and knows every decision that you're making, you say, I'm not gonna buy that counterfeit stuff because I believe that I'm walking righteously with Jesus. You turn on the television and you see something that before you know is taking you in your mind and your heart and your spirit to something else and you make this spiritual warfare declaration, it's a powerful thing to do. You turn the television over. And right there at that moment, you are fighting the good fight. It's not some pie in the sky. It's practical moment by moment consideration and deliberation that God is good. And if I choose him in every circumstance and situation of my life, then I am sure to not be let down by God. That's the truth. Years ago, I had a a vision. I think it was a vision. I'm not sure what to call it. We were facing some very difficult things in the church and We've been praying and seeking God and in this vision or this experience, I wake up and I'm in the middle of a battlefield and as far as the eye can see in every direction, there are Christians lying all over the ground like there's been this great war, this great battle and there's blood everywhere and people's arms are hanging off and people are limping trying to get up and it's just, it's carnage. And in my heart I say to God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so without even listening to a response, I get up and I'm trying to help these people. Come on, come on, get up, don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on what he promised you. Don't give up on your prayer. You prayed, he heard, he will answer. And I'm walking around this massive field full of people and I get a tap on the shoulder. And I look up from my bloody mess and I look up and there's this man dressed in a Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, is that what it's called? Yeah, kind of um, butler's outfit I SAY TO HIM, THIS GUY, EXCUSE ME, COULD YOU PLEASE HELP ME? THERE'S SO MANY PEOPLE HERE THAT NEED JESUS' HELP. COME ON, ARE YOU A CHRISTIAN? YES, I'M A CHRISTIAN. AND HE SAID, I'M SORRY, I'M NOT ALLOWED TO HELP YOU. BUT I DO HAVE A QUESTION FROM THE MASTER FOR YOU. I SAID, WHAT IS IT? HE SAID, WOULD YOU LIKE THE MELON OR THE SOUP? I SAID, ARE YOU KIDDING ME? ARE YOU HAVING A LAUGH? WHAT KIND OF NONSENSE IS THIS? I said, to him, well, I'm going to help this guy. And I come over to this guy, and I'm talking to this guy, and he's dying, he's dying. And he's saying, please pray for my family. Please pray for, in this dream. Pray for my family. Pray that God would save them. And he says, I've been a minister all my life, and I can't do this anymore. I'm going to let myself go to eternity. And I'm saying, no, stay awake, stay awake. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. This is like a big thing for me. And I get a tap on the shoulder, and I look up, and it's the butler again. And he says, Uh, Once again, the master has sent me and he's asking this question, would you like the melon or the soup? (laughs) And I'm like... (sniffs) (laughs) I said, what's wrong with you, man? I stand and see this little boy who is clearly at the end of his life. He's been messed and mashed and mangled by the war. And he's about seven or eight and he begins to try and sing a sunday school song this is the song jesus loves me this i know and i'm weeping and i'm weeping and i'm weeping and my heart is broken and i think god look at the mess of your church look what the enemy has done to your church and guess who taps me on the shoulder the butler and he says i've been charged three times to ask you and this is the final time i'll ask you please could you respond the master wants to know DO YOU WANT THE MELON OR THE SOUP? I CAN'T TELL YOU WHAT I THOUGHT (laughs) BECAUSE WE'RE IN CHURCH. (laughs) BUT I WOKE UP FROM THIS DREAM. STARTED WRITING IT ALL DOWN AND TRYING TO UNDERSTAND WHAT IT WAS. AND THIS SCRIPTURE CAME RIGHT TO THE FOREFRONT OF MY MIND. LISTEN TO IT. I HAVE PREPARED A TABLE BEFORE YOU IN THE PRESENCE OF YOUR ENEMIES. YOUR CUP Will overflow. You see, real spiritual warfare is sitting down with the one who sat down at the right hand of the Father. When the Bible teaches us that Jesus sat down, it means that it is completed, that it is finished. It's not about my effort, it's finished. Jesus has accomplished, He has won the war. Someone say, Hallelujah. And so if you want to know how to do spiritual warfare, sit down. I mean, I don't care whether you have melon or soup, but sit down and commune with God. And that is where we're supposed to live from. We're supposed to live from that place of communion with God. We're supposed to fight the good fight. And what's a good fight? I've never been any good at fighting. Let me tell you what a good fight is. One, you're guaranteed you're going to win. Okay, when I sit down in communion and fellowship with Jesus, I'm fighting the good fight. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. If I could search through all eternity, Lord, I'll never find anyone who has done what you have done for humanity. I sit down in the completed, finished work of Jesus. Any spiritual warfare that has any power attached to it comes out of intimacy. It comes out of connectivity with the one who has won the battle then you can say no weapon fashioned against me will prosper. You can't say that when you're living independently of Jesus. I wanna keep this real for you. When you're living connected to Jesus, you can say no weapon fashioned against me will prosper. So Paul is saying, look guys, this is a battle. You haven't give up. I'm happy to be associated with you. And there's an honor attached to that. For those in this room who've given up, let me tell you, get up. Get up, Jesus is alive. Jesus is here, and he is going to show you how to win victory in the circumstances of your life. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. The third thing he invites us to is this thought: Be strong in the Lord. And the word strong is taking the word that's used is endu, which is a compound of two Greek words. The first word is en, and the second one is dunamu, which means dunamis, which is explosive power, ability, or capacity. It's where we get the word dynamite from. And when these two words are put together, Paul is trying to create a thought and understanding for the Ephesian church and for us today that we need to be empowered supernaturally by God. The idea of being infused by supernatural capacity in our frail humanity. He's simply saying this. There is a power that's available. And without it, you will not succeed in any spiritual battle. It is not by might. It is not by human strength or power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. And Paul is saying, God is looking for vessels to fill with his dunamis power. And these are the soldiers that he wants to release on the earth. God is looking for people filled with the supernatural capacity of the Holy Spirit to turn up in their families, to turn up in their communities, to turn up in their workplaces. You don't think do you for one second that you are sharp enough to contend with the devil do you know that the devil for centuries was the worship leader in heaven he had a beauty and a capacity to him and of course could fathom and understand the great realities of God and yet he was now and is now fallen you don't think you have what it takes to take him down. Please don't fool yourself into thinking you're sharp enough, clever enough, spiritual enough to do one-on-one battle in your human strength or ability. Because he will outwit you every single time. And I look around the church and I think so often we're fighting a battle with our human resources. And we don't need to. And we will be destroyed if we choose to. BUT THE POWER OF THE HOLY SPIRIT IS WAY MORE THAN A MATCH FOR ANY DEMONIC INFLUENCE IN YOUR LIFE. YOU HAVE AND ARE INVITED TO BY GOD TO BECOME A VESSEL THAT HE WILL FILL WITH HIS SUPERNATURAL POWER. THAT'S NOT JUST FOR PENTECOST SUNDAY. That's an invitation to anyone who walks with Jesus and wants to be with Jesus seated in the place of success when it comes to personal warfare. Jesus has made room at the table for you, but you will not arrive there and complete the task set before you to destroy the works of the enemy around you by human ability. It's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in the background of this particular part of what Paul is saying, he's saying this before he gets into putting on the armor, he's saying this, I'm not asking you. That's not what he's saying. I'm not inviting you. I'm commanding you, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go and research it yourself. I'm telling you that this is exactly what you need to do. And what he's saying to the readers who are listening to him speak through the letter, he's saying, Make your heart wide open for that. Make your life a vessel for that. Don't think it's optional. Don't think it's optional. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need God's power to combat the works of the evil one. You need God's power to subdue the demonic forces that are seeking to destroy your life. You cannot do it on your own. In fact, he's saying, don't do it on your own. Don't engage with that unless you have the power. I'm telling you church today that some of us have made the Holy Spirit an occasional concern in our lives, but you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the church lacks now? A real willingness to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Will you be a vessel for God today? Will you allow God to fill you today? Will you open your heart and your life and do as the scriptures command you to do, be being filled with the Holy Spirit? And Paul is saying this supernatural entity will come inside of you, it'll be a power and authority that will destroy all the works of the enemy through you. And it's not just a one-off thing where you get touched for a moment and invigorated by God's power keep yourself consistently connected to the source keep yourself consistently available to the power of the holy spirit now some of us we met the holy spirit in 1972 and we think that's all it took but actually be being filled is the instruction we need the filling of the holy spirit every day of our lives you cannot live for jesus unless the spirit of god lives breathes directs and instructs your life you do not have what it takes to be able to live the good life Jesus has called you to. God is the giver of this power. God is the one, God is the person that infuses us in our inner strength to live with the ability that he instructs us to. And without him giving us that power, we will always have A lot of words in our vocabulary that don't have a recognition or a demonstration of the power of God. In the New Testament, Paul uses a phrase. He says, they had a form of godliness. In other words, it looked good. I'm sorry, my trousers. I'm just so thin. My trousers are full of... They had a form of godliness. You see, that's spiritual warfare. I'm believing for the impossible. They have a form of godliness. They've got all the words. They've got all the paraphernalia. They know all the scriptures. They say all the right things. But listen what he says. They've got a form of godliness, but they lack. In other words, there's something missing. What would be the best thing that could happen to us today? Yeah, I'll finish in a minute. You can celebrate that. But an even better thing that could happen to you today is that you get filled and overflow with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the best outcome of a day together when we're talking about spiritual warfare. Not that we end the sermon and we have some coffee and we talk. All of that will be great. Lord will be here next week. But today, I'm saying on behalf of the Lord, this is what the church needs. We need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. We need fresh empowering to live our lives for Jesus. Some of us have faded when it comes to that reality. We're living in a memory or some kind of romantic notion that one day when revival comes, but today, this is what the scriptures say. Today says, if you ask for the Spirit, how much more will I give the Spirit to those who ask me? Is there anybody asking for the Holy Spirit this morning? You need the Holy Spirit. You can't live your best life for Jesus. You can't win the victories that you need to win. You certainly not will be able to fight without clarity. You will not be able to have intimacy. You will not be able to look around and see the good thing that God's doing in other people without the power, the revelation, the understanding, and the unction of the Holy Spirit. Stand with me please. Holy Spirit, You don't have to do anything I ask you to do because you're God. But you do always, have always, will always do what the Father asks of you to do or what Jesus asks you to do. I thank you for that, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, you promised us the Holy Spirit. You said, I have to go, but I will send you another comforter, the Spirit of truth who will lead you into all truth. And Lord, today we're standing at a precipice where we really need your spirit's power. We're looking at a world, Lord God, and there's so much happening in it. Without your Spirit's power, we will not be able just to sustain our lives, let alone be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit way more than we realize. And your Holy Spirit's not some optional extra for the pastor or the elders. It was given, he was given to us so that we could live our best lives for Jesus. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to come. Fill every heart today, I pray, Lord. May we be the very vessels that Paul is instructing us to be. And Lord, let your command from heaven come and say, be filled now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, will you speak and speak a release over our lives today, those watching online, because without your Spirit's power, Lord God, we are going to become very, very weak and unable to sustain just living, let alone winning, in the days that lie ahead. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Just lift your heart before Him and Offer your life as a vessel and say, Holy Spirit, will you come and fill me, infuse me with supernatural strength and ability? Holy Spirit, will you come and empower us as a church by God's strength? Holy Spirit, will you help us to receive all that you want and all that you have to give us today? We need your power, Lord. Show your power oh lord our god show your power oh lord our god our god he is the lord and he reigns on high he is the lord he spoke into my darkness created the light he is the my lord so who is like unto him never ending in days he is the lord and he comes in power when we call on his name he Show us your power, Jesus. Show your power to us, Lord. Supernatural strength, supernatural capacity, because we're called to tear down the works of our enemy, Lord. To live in the fullness of the victory that you have already accomplished, Jesus. And from that place of intimacy. TO HAVE FORGED AND FORMED IN US THE MOST GLORIOUS SPIRITUAL AUTHORITY THAT CAUSES EVERY ENVIRONMENT WE STAND IN, LORD, TO BE CHANGED BY THE POWER OF GOD. SHOW YOUR POWER, O GOD. LORD, FORGIVE ME IF I THINK OR HAVE FAILED TO BELIEVE THAT I NEED YOUR SPIRIT, LORD. I ASK, LORD GOD, FOR YOUR FORGIVENESS. I REPENT, LORD GOD, AND I SAY, COME, HOLY SPIRIT, FILL MY LIFE AFRESH. HERE'S MY LIFE. FILL IT UP, LORD fill it up with the presence and the power and the reality of you, Lord, that I may live as an overcomer in these days that lie ahead. And God, we don't even have a clue how the enemy is going to try to destroy and rob us. We have some memory, but we have no real understanding about how difficult things are going to get. And I pray, Lord Jesus, we'll be more than conquerors. We'd be more than ready for all that lies ahead of us. I say over your life today, wherever you place the soles of your feet, remember he's given you that ground. I say over you, no weapon fashioned against you could prosper. I say over you that the enemy may come in like a flood, but you lift up a standard which is your praise and the name and the reality of the truth of who God is. I say that every battle, starting internally and working itself out externally, will be won in the mighty name of Jesus. I declare over you that you are victors. You are victors of the deceit and the lies of the enemy. And I ask, Lord God, that you would make us the best receptacles to receive your Spirit's power, that we may go out into our world, Lord, and see everything changed. Next week, we're going to put on the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness, sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the shoes that are ready with the truth of the gospel. But Lord, between now and then, use us mightily, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just take your seat for a second. Take your seat for a second. Steph, come on up and say hello and goodbye to us as you head off to Thailand. I don't know if you We're aware, but Stephanie is our missionary in Thailand. She's heading out, I think, in the next few weeks. Yeah,
0: so I just wanted to say uh, thank you so much for all of your support, um, both financially and through prayer. I couldn't do my ministry in Thailand without you, so just a quick, I am working with missionary kids and teaching in some Thai schools, and so I just want to say thank you for all of your support, and just to remind you that you can still support me. It's never too late, so... um, I have a card that has all the details Um, if you want to give financially that'd be great. Also I send out a newsletter every month and that's the best way to keep up to date with what I'm doing and how you can pray for me so again come and see me at the end if you want to take a card and you can um, sign up for that and if you don't like getting emails um, come give me your address and I can make sure that one gets posted to you. Um, So as Simon said I'm hoping to fly a week on Monday. But I'm having trouble with getting my visa at the moment. So as you pray this week, I would love you to pray um, that God does his work and that my visa comes in time. Because my visa doesn't come, I don't get to fly. So, yeah, just be praying that my visa comes by next Monday so I can fly and get back to my work yeah. in Thailand.
1: Thank Amen. you. Amen. Yeah, let's do, let's do that now. <clears throat> yeah, just re- reach your hand out towards Stephanie. Father, we just bless Her life afresh today. We know, Lord God, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, but Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that's been leading and guiding and teaching and showing her how to live for Jesus in a context or a situation that's culturally very different to the one she grew up in. I thank you for the way that you have used her life, Lord, to touch so many children and others who are working in those spaces and places. Lord, let everything work together. Lord, let the visa come through, let the timings be right. May she have favor, Lord, with all the people that are necessary. And Lord, keep her permanently in our heart to pray for her and to to talk to you about her, Lord God, because she needs us as a family, not just in word, but indeed, to stand behind the Lord in these times. Because, Lord, she's going right into the forefront where Buddhism and all manner of spiritual things are very prevalent, Lord. And while that looks like a passive religion from a distance, actually, it has quite violent streams to it. Lord, I pray you protect her by the blood of Jesus Christ and use her mightily for your glory, God. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. I hope you have a wonderful week. See you Thursday at the prayer meeting.